And the same thing happened in both services. As I walked up, I'm concerned that people aren't going to sing the chorus thing, come together. And as I walk up, I hear people singing the verse. <laughs> so come together. It's interesting because um, there's a, there, a movie came out in November, um, Justice League. How many of you saw Justice League? A few. Uh, I talked to a number of younger people who saw that movie. And they mentioned this cool song in the movie, this cool new song in the movie, and it was come together. I said, okay, that's like almost 50 years old. But um, I understand that that song, Come Together, it's, it's weird. It's, it's got weird lyrics. It's got goofy words. I understand that. It's a little cryptic. It's a lot cryptic, all right? Hard to understand. Many different interpretations of it. I've heard that the four verses are each of the four, uh, describing each of the four Beatles, and they have to come together. John Lennon actually said that he began writing that song as a campaign song for Timothy Leary, who was running for governor of California against Ronald Reagan. And when Timothy Leary got put in jail for possession of marijuana, the campaign ended, and so the song got changed a little bit. But I understand it's a little bit weird. I understand there's many different interpretations. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to do with that what we do with everything here. We're going to focus on what's easier to understand. Because there's some things that are tougher, goofier. There's some things that are easier to understand. And what is easier to understand in that song is come together over me. Come together. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the fact that truth needs to come together for you. That um, today, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, needs to come together for you. And we need to come together. Just think of it as Jesus saying, come together right now over me. That's what we're going to do. So remember, today what we're going to do is what we always do. We focus on what is obvious, not obscure. We obey the obvious and let the obscure take care of itself. And um, we're starting a new series. And at this time of year, it's actually the first Sunday of the new year. So, Happy New Year. This time of year um, is always about change. It's a time of change. We, um, uh, you know that Julie and I watch Netflix like every night. That's our relaxing kind of getaway, eat popcorn, watch Netflix. Well, we've, we've switched that up a little bit. And, and we, we wanted to watch a show that was on CBS that we hadn't recorded on the TiVo. So we had to buy CBS app thing. And there's two ways to do it. You could do it this way which was like a couple dollars, you know, but you had to watch the, the commercials. Or you could spend a couple dollars more and have it be commercial free. Well, you know me, I'm cheap. And so it's like, well, of course, I'll watch commercials. You can't fast forward through them. <laughs> and every night I'm sitting there like, it's only a couple bucks. I can get through. But as a result, I've actually watched commercials that I haven't done in a long time. And it's interesting that at this time of year, almost every one of them, has to do with um, a diet or some exercise thing or, or some miracle product, you know? You call this toll-free number or, or you click right here and all of your troubles will go away. 
It's all centered on, on what you need to make the change that you want in your life. It, it's just all over the place. And we know that because of the time of year, that that stuff is centered around New Year's resolutions. I am not against New Year's resolutions. How many of you here make New Year's resolutions? Like three, okay? Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not against them in any way. That wasn't a trick question. But the bad news is that the statistics show that like 8% of people will actually follow through by the end of the year on their New Year's resolution. So I know that's a little bit of a downer, but the resolution thing, we see that a change needs to be made. We see that something needs to happen, so we make a resolution, and then January comes, and February comes, and pretty soon things start to taper off. So here's what we're going to do. Instead of a New Year's resolution, we're, gonna, we're just going to have a little bit of fun with Beatles, and we're going to say, you say you want a revolution? Instead of a New Year's resolution, we're going to have a New Year's revolution. And what's a revolution? A revolution is, in simple terms, it's a change for the better. It's taking something that needs changed and changing it for the better. So maybe you need a change for the better this year. Maybe something needs to be changed. And what we're going to do is we're going to spend a few weeks and we're going to look at some big things, big things over the next few weeks that can make that revolution that you need in your life happen. If you can really grasp and apply what this is talking about. The first one today is something that's been around and it's been a problem like forever. I believe it's a bigger problem today than it's ever been due to things like social media and, and movies and TV and stuff. And I believe almost everyone struggles with this at one time or another, some constantly. And it can really mess you up when you do. I watch people struggle, for instance, trying to fit in. They just want to fit in somewhere, trying to identify with the right group, with the right people, with the right trend, with the right thing. And, and that whole identity issue, they just, they, they want to be accepted like that. I talk to a lot of people, and a lot of people that I talk to don't really know who they are. And you say, oh, I know who I am. You know, I can pull my ID out, there's my ID, you know? I was looking at this today to make sure that it didn't expire this year. I'm looking at it, that's who I am, and, and you know, I am not just who my ID says I am. The weight's way off, but that's a whole other issue. <laughs> I, I, I'm not just who my ID says I am. And I believe that all, all of us struggle with this, but I know that especially young people may especially struggle with this in our, in our messed up world trying to fit in, trying to understand what their identity is. But the truth is, most people really don't know who they are. They get defined by what they do. Try this experiment. Ask somebody, you know, you know, who are you? How many people will say, I'm a salesman, I'm a fireman, I'm a policeman, I'm this, I'm... They'll, they'll tell you what they do. It's like, I didn't ask what you do. I ask, who are you? And people get defined by what they do or by what they wear or, or by what they look like. So today, I thought as we kick off this first official weekend in 2018, we're going to look at one of the most energizing letters in history. And that's the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians was a letter that was written by a guy that had experienced like a complete revolution in his life. He had really had this happen, and it wasn't just like a resolution here or there. Complete revolution in his life. And a revolution takes place when we understand our identity. And here's what I want you to grasp today. Our identity is found 
in the Trinity. Listen carefully here. This message today is about those of us who are followers of Jesus. That's very important. The things I'm going to talk about identity today are about those who are followers of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I would suggest you pay very close attention today. Very, very important because you're going to see who we are. You're going to see whose we are. In your worship folder, if you've got a worship folder, there's an outline in it. And I would advise you to write down the things that are said. It's very important when we're talking about identity. All the verses will be on here and you can go through that. And so we're going to look at some, um, some facts about this. I believe this is crucial. And I think for those of you who don't know Jesus, this might be pretty attractive to you as something that you might desire in your life as well. And maybe, just maybe, you'll say, this is what I've been searching for my whole life. The first section that we're going to look at deals with our identity as followers of Jesus. We're, now, we're all unique. We're all created with such in an infinite variety from the hand of a loving and creative God. We say this all the time. There are no two people alike. You are unique. We talk all the time about how God shaped each one of us completely uniquely. That shape, S-H-A-P-E, remember, we talk about this all the time. Your spiritual gift, heart, abilities, personality, experience, how all of that is very unique. However, today we're going to look at our most basic identity as believers and followers of Jesus. We're going to look at what um, is true of all believers. And I believe this is crucial because way too many followers of Jesus don't really understand who they are. I said a revolution takes place when we understand our identity. And our identity is found in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's three in one. One in three. We do not have the capacity right now to understand or to wrap our pea brains around the essence of the Trinity. Okay? We, we, we can't do that. We give illustrations to help with that, but all of the illustrations fall short. And the reason is because God is God, and I am not. Personally, I would not want a God that I could completely understand and explain. I am way more interested in a God who understands me completely. Far more important. So Paul does what he usually does. He begins with facts, with teaching, with doctrine. And then he usually concludes with the YBH, the yes but how. How do we do that? The application for that. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the facts about if you're a follower of Jesus, who you are, what your real identity is. So buckle up. We're going to move fast. Okay? We're going to come together. We're going to, uh, truth needs to come together for you. And the Father, Son, and the Spirit need to come together for you. And we need to come together over Him. So you ready? Here we go. We're going to fly. We really are. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 1, it says this. New American Standard Version says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus, and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, graced you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing I'm going to say that he says about them, he says about believers in Jesus, which if you are a follower of Jesus, this is true about you. You are a saint. You are a saint. Do you realize if you're a Christian, you're a saint? You might not act like it all the time. But that doesn't change the fact. Because a saint is anyone who through their faith in Jesus has been forgiven and cleansed of their sins. 
So let's do this. If you're a believer in Jesus, I want you to say out loud, I'm a saint. I saw you elbowing people as they said it. That, no, no. If we're a believer, you're a saint. That's who you are. And some of you have not thought about that in, in days, weeks, months, years, or ever. The fact that you're a saint. That's who you are. And it continues. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So I have this on your nose twice just because it's so important. You are a saint. You've got to write that twice because it's so important for you to get that. You are a saint who is blessed. You're a saint who is blessed. Every believer. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So friends, if you're a believer, I'm going to share with you what you're blessed with. Because if you're a believer in Jesus, this is true about you. It's going to blow some of you away. It did me this week all over again. Every time I see this, it just excites me. It, it, I see this and it's like, wow, I see this and I think, how could anyone not want this? So that's what he shares with us. So saints, here's what you're blessed with. Here's your true identity at the most fundamental, foundational level. And I hope it excites you as much as it did me to realize who you are in Christ. There is so much here. We're going to cover it very quickly. There's so much here. And actually... Verses 3 through, we're going to go all the way down through verse 14. Verses 3 through 14, in the original language, Paul wrote in one sentence. Verses 3 through 14 is one long sentence. Truth after truth after truth after truth after truth. And it's, it's one of the longest, it's one of the, the toughest and most challenging to translate. So what I'm going to do so we don't get ground up is I'm just going to use a couple different translations as we go, depending on, on, on what makes it the most clear um, and so um, you'll, you'll see that there's a couple different ones there. But I have a challenge for you. Uh, I'm going to challenge you at the end to read through Ephesians 1 every day this week coming up. Um, and, and we'll get to that at the end. But I have a fun challenge for you too. When you get ready to do that and start to read through Ephesians 1, I want you to try to read verses 3 through 14, that one long sentence, in one breath. Don't do it alone. I don't want you passing out and having nobody there. Make sure you're sitting down. But just, it's one big, long thing. So are you ready? Here we go. I'm not going to do it in one long breath, okay? Um, here's who you are and what you've been blessed with. This is your identity if you're a follower of Jesus. Verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. You are chosen. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are chosen. And I don't know if you caught it, but he said... Before the creation of the world. Before the world was here. Before the sun, the moon, the stars were here. Before anything was here. He chose me. He chose you. Now, I don't want you to get all ground up in that. Thinking about implications of that at the moment. Okay, we'll get into that a little bit more in a minute. But remember, you're never going to fully understand the Trinity, the implications of that in your salvation and relationship with Jesus. So I want you to just sit back and realize that if you're a follower of Jesus, first of all, God chose you before the creation of the world. And that means a lot to those of us who didn't even get chosen for kickball on a playground. That God chose me. I'm not an accident. I'm not an afterthought. I'm not just some add-on. He chose me. This alone, to me, was life-changing 
and so comforting. I am God's number one draft pick. Isn't, is that not my, if you know me, you know that's really <laughs> mind-blowing. But if you're a believer, that's true about you. So the first thing is you're chosen. Verse 5, it says, in love, he predestined, and that's a word that some people love and some people hate. We'll get into it in a second. In love, he predestined us for adoption. Adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So the next thing is you are chosen and then you are adopted. It says God predestined us for adoption through Jesus. And I know, all right, I understand that some of you have stopped right there because I know what you're thinking. I'm not like Johnny Carson, the amazing Karnak. I can just, I see it on your face. You say, okay, so God predestined us. He's chosen us already. So I guess, you know, the good guys, the white hats, we go to heaven and the bad guys, God predestined them for hell, right? Wrong. Wrong. It could not be more wrong. God is sovereign. The scripture says that over and over. God is about election. Scripture says that over and over. But we also have freedom of choice. We have responsibility to make the right choices. So do I believe in election and predestination? Yes. Do I believe in responsibility and freedom of choice? Yes. Do I understand it? No. Does God understand it? Yes. Those are two rivers that only come together in the mind of God. Remember our, our hand illustration? I said, let's do this. Let's put this one back here for the moment. And we'll just put this one out here. And here's what the Bible teaches. These are facts. God is sovereign. The sovereign Lord of the universe. He chose us. He predestined us to adoption of sons. Nothing happens outside of God's control. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. I want you to take that hand. I'm not saying you guys. I'm just saying this hand, okay? This, we're going to put that away for a moment. And we're going to come up with this hand. This hand, because the Bible teaches that every choice you make has consequences. And you have the freedom to choose whatever you want to choose. And you can make that choice. You can choose Jesus or you can choose not to choose Jesus. And when I take this hand and this hand and try to do this, it doesn't work for me. So what most people do is they throw out one hand or the other. And what the Bible says is this is true. But this is true. I'm not asking you to understand it, God says. I'm just asking you to accept it. I, I'm beyond what you can understand in that respect. <laughs> so God is complete sovereign Lord of the universe. He chose me, and he predestined me for adoption. And if you're a believer, he did the exact same thing for you. But you're the one who chose that. So I understand that that, can, that creates tension. But I believe that you have to have that holy tension going on between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. Because that's part of how we live. Hopefully that made a little bit of sense. We'll touch on it again in a minute. So he chose us. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Christ Jesus. And next, verse 6, it says, To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. So the next thing is you are accepted chosen, 
You're adopted and you are accepted. God made us accepted in Jesus. Many of you have accepted Jesus as your Savior. But we also have to realize we not only accepted him, God accepted us. Why would God accept me? Because I've accepted Jesus. That's how that works. We're acceptable because of Jesus, yet God the Father has accepted us. And those of us who come to know his son, Jesus, we're accepted. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, that, that lights me up. To know that I have been chosen, I have been adopted, I have been accepted. From my house, I can watch the sunrise, actually it would be the sunrise and the sunset. Very blessed to have <laughs> that view. And in the last few um, days, last week or so, I have watched the sunrise a number of times over the last week. It's been like super cold, there's no clouds, and so you can see the sunrise. I don't get to see the sunset because it sets at like 2 o'clock or something like that, and I'm not home yet. But I get to see the sunrise, and I watch it a number of times this week. So let me ask you this. Think about it before you answer. Did the sun rise? The correct answer is no. The sun did not rise. To me, it rose. But in reality, it didn't. The earth rotated. Yeah, yeah, that's your question. I know, I know. But I felt like it rose. When I watched it, I felt like it rose, but it's not a fact. I mean, actually, factually, I know the sun didn't rise, but I felt like it. We look at these things that Paul is talking about, and we go, wow, I don't always feel those things. I don't always feel chosen. I don't always feel adopted. I don't always feel accepted. You know, I mean, I don't always feel that way. We need to understand these are facts. It doesn't matter how we feel. Paul's saying, here's the facts. You're chosen, you're adopted, you're accepted. Here's the facts. And it keeps getting better. In verse 7 and 8, it says, In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according, um, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Grace will be a common theme throughout this, this book. He says um, two things here. Both of these are just huge. We are redeemed. You are redeemed and you are forgiven. You are redeemed and forgiven in Jesus through his blood. So what does redemption mean? Redemption means purchased and set free by paying a price. Paul's writing this letter from prison, but you notice his identity is in Christ. He's not saying, you know, I'm in prison, I'm stuck in Folsom prison. I had to get another Johnny Cash reference in because we did last, year, last week. This, this isn't Johnny Cash. He wasn't, he, Paul wasn't saying that. Paul's in prison writing the letter, and he says, I'm in Christ. That's his identity. And as he wrote this letter, 60 million slaves existed throughout the Roman Empire. Think about that for a minute. 60 million they were sold, they were bought, whatever, like pieces of, of furniture. And, and back during this time, you could, you could buy a slave, but you could also buy a slave and set them free. And that's the picture here. 
Because we are, before Christ, we are all slaves to sin. Jesus, by shedding his blood, spilling his blood on the cross, because the shedding of blood is all about forgiveness and cleansing, he's done what? He set me free. He redeemed me. He bought me back. The price was high because the wages of sin is death. And he paid the price with his death. And because of that, I am free. And if you're a follower of Jesus, because of that, you are free. You have been redeemed. So why are we still acting like slaves to sin? Because we're not. I'm not. You're not. We're free. And we're free indeed. So he has redeemed us from that. And we're also forgiven. Forgiven is technically you're released from an obligation or debt. The debt was death because the wages of sin is death. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, shedding his blood and dying, paying the price for our sin, we can be forgiven when we place our trust in him because he paid the debt. So you can be redeemed and set free and forgiven. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you are redeemed and you are forgiven. Verses 9 and 10, it says this, With all wisdom and understanding... He made known, those are the key words, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. What he's just done is in this short passage so far, he's gone from before the earth was created until the end of the world. And, and he's filling us in on who we are in Christ during this whole time period. So here's what we're going to say. He made known to us the mystery of his will. I'm going to use the word enlightened. You are enlightened. I had a tough time coming up with what word to use. What I, the word I wanted to use was privy. Like you're privy to some information that other people don't have. But because I have a warped sense of humor, every time I said the word, all I could think of was somebody saying, oh, I've got to go to the privy. <laughs> you know? And it just didn't seem to fit with what we were doing here. So we're going to use the word enlightened. Because what God did is he made known to us the mystery of his will. Now, that does not mean you understand all of God's will. That would make you God. If you understand all of God's will, please see me after. I have some questions. Okay? Part of it that he's talking about is that believers were able to grasp something of God's divine purpose of the ages, to see its relevance in our present time and, and how it's moving to a conclusion. He's enlightened us to be able to see some of that. And, and, and the truth is, if you're outside of the family of God, if you're not a believer, you are never, ever, ever going to really know why you're here. Let me say that another way. Because I'm not saying that you can't have a decent life or a good life. I'm not saying you can't be like a good guy or a good girl. I'm not saying that. The Bible's not saying that either. But if you really want to know why you're here, and if you really want to know where you're going and what the future is about and what heaven is about and what your abilities and gifts are all about, it starts with Jesus. You can't have that without Jesus. You're enlightened and privy to what is a mystery to everyone who doesn't know Jesus. We can see how history is moving according to what he said for hundreds and thousands of years. So you've been, if you're a believer, you've been chosen, adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven, enlightened. And then verses 11 and 12, in him, in Jesus, also we have obtained an inheritance. 
having been predestined according to his purpose. There's that word again, predestined. According to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. What I want to focus on in that passage is the fact that if you're a follower of Jesus, you are an heir. You're an heir. You're chosen by God in Christ to be an heir. And as a chosen, adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven, enlightened child of God, through Jesus, you have an inheritance beyond your wildest imagination. It's reserved in heaven for you, but it also is here now. As we do the works he planned for us, as we fulfill his purpose for us, and we get to spend that, you are part of God's family. Now, before we move on, I know that as some of you read this, it can bug you a little bit. When you read predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, it's that whole thing we talked about. God is sovereign, and nothing happens outside his will. And every choice I make is my choice, and I have responsibility for it, and there are consequences to my choices. You need to understand both those things as you read this, but we need to understand God is not the author of evil. Bad things happen. Things happen in this world because we live in a world that is broken and screwed up by sin. And we're going to, for instance, bad thing happened. We're going to do a funeral tomorrow for someone who is 40 years old. That should not have happened from our perspective. And I would never dream of going to the kids, um, the three kids that get left behind. And saying, well, God wanted him in heaven. That's cruel. Because you know what they're thinking? We kind of wanted him here. Here's what I know. God didn't do that. But I do know that God, because he is who he is, can take any situation that happens and bring good out of it. He's already doing that in this situation. Many of you are a testimony to that. You've had hard things happen in your life. And God, you have seen God take those and make good things out of it. Because I understand that God is sovereign, but I also understand that we have choices. And our choices have consequences and it matters. And you can't emphasize one without diminishing the other. We believe them both. So you're part of God's family. You're an heir. I don't know about you. I've told you this many times. We joke about this. It's true, but we joke about it. In my family, there's never going to be a rich uncle who dies and leaves me money. Ever. Never going to happen. I'm going to have relatives die who leave bills, you know, and who leave things like that, but never going to have a rich uncle who dies. Can you imagine? I don't know who you think of when you think of the, the rich people, the richest people, you know, you know, Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, or I don't know who you think of. But can you imagine one day finding out, I'm related to them. I'm an heir. I mean, how amazing would that be? Right away, I know, you're like me. You're starting to think, well, I could, that would fix this, and that would fix this. Now think for a moment. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're an heir of the one who owns everything. The Lord of the universe. That's what it means to be an heir. If you're a follower of Jesus. The first part of the next verse, says this. And you also were, and this would be easy to miss. You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. This is one of the biggest ones to me. You are included. 
you're included. You are placed in Christ by God. We'll get into this more, some of what being in Christ means as we move through this. But, um, but for now, I don't know about you, but for me, that thrills me to my very soul when I hear that I am included. Because far too often in my life, I have felt excluded. And the truth is that I am not excluded. I might be excluded from things that don't matter, but I am included in Christ by God. And when I heard and believed the message of truth, the gospel of my salvation, I was included in Christ by God. There is no more safe place. There is no more secure place than that. Chosen, adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven, enlightened, and heir and included. And here's the icing on the cake. God the Father, God the Son, have been mentioned throughout this passage so far as participating in all of the incredible blessings that we just mentioned so far that make up the identity of, the follow, of a follower of Jesus. That God does this for you in Christ. Christ does this through God, and it goes back and forth like that. I said a revolution takes place when we understand our identity, and our identity is found in the Trinity. Here's what we're going to close with today, the next uh, verse and a half, verse, end of verse 13 and verse 14. Talked about hearing the message in the last verse, and then you not only heard it, but when you believed, it said, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You are sealed. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have been sealed in Christ by God with the Holy Spirit. And every time I read this verse, all I can hear is, sign, sealed, delivered, I'm yours, baby. <laughs> this is the Trinity participating in this guarantee. There's a lot of pictures here. They all fall a little bit short, but there's a lot of pictures here. It's like one of the pictures you're marked with in him with a seal. You were given this as a, as a deposit, as a guarantee. One of the pictures is like this. This is my wedding ring. And my wedding ring, is a, this does not make me married. It's picture. It's a, it's a picture of that covenant, of that seal. And, and that's one of the pictures. Another picture that it gives is, is in those days, you know, the king could write a letter to somebody, and if he wanted to make sure that everybody got it, and it was, it was with his full authority, he put the king's seal on it. And when they got it, they see the king's seal, they realize it comes with his full authority, and whatever it says is like him saying it. That's the same picture here. You have the seal, the stamp of the king on it. The picture is also, when it talks about a deposit, it's a down payment. Deposit is a down payment, but this is not like you put a little down or you might lose it. This is a down payment with a guarantee of much more to come. It's like this just a little bit. It's a little bit, and there's a whole bunch more coming. In essence, the deposit of the Holy Spirit is a little bit of heaven in believers' lives with the guarantee of a whole lot more to come. The Holy Spirit is God's guarantee that we belong to Him. It's His guarantee that, that, that I'm one of His. It's the way that other people know that, and it's also the way I know it. So that I'm not constantly waffling back and forth. It's a down payment, a deposit, a validating signature on a contract. And the presence of the Holy Spirit demonstrates that genuineness of our faith. Not only so that other people can see it, but so that I do. 
because I grew up in a way that, that I didn't get my identity in Christ. And I struggled with a lot of things. And I went back and forth like it seemed like moment by moment. I'm saved. I'm not saved. I'm saved. I'm not saved. And it was cra- every time there was an invitation. How many times have you been saved? Tim? Oh, 40 or 50. You know. The problem was not that I was or wasn't saved. The problem was I didn't know who people are when they become followers of Jesus. And their identity in him. And, and I, I, at that point, I was not saved yet. I did not have that seal of the Holy Spirit on my life to demonstrate that, not only to others, but for me, to prove that I'm one of God's children, to have him secure that eternal life in me. But that's what you get the millisecond you become a follower of Jesus. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit, a deposit guaranteeing that and so much more to come. And his power in us now works to transform us now. And what we experience now is a taste of the total change we're going to experience in eternity. As as he makes us more into the image of Jesus. So my question for you today is, do you know Jesus? Do you think of Christianity and Christians as just about church? It's about being part of a group or some weird people, or it's about having to do this or to do this or not do this or not do this. Today, you've heard what it is to be a Christian and what God has promised that is yours as a blessing when you become a follower of Jesus. And wouldn't you like all those things? That's what he's offering But did you see the requirements? The requirements are not, you know, do the right thing, you know, or like when I was growing up, it would be, cut your hair. I did, it didn't help, but say, you know, cut your hair, do this, do that, you know, and it was all external things. That was not any of the requirements here. In order to have all of those blessings, the requirements, you can't earn them. It said you hear the message of truth, the gospel of salvation, but you not only hear, you have to believe. You have to respond. You have to make that choice. And all throughout this, he's going to talk about grace, I said, and some of the capstone verses here will say that you are saved by grace through faith. Both of those things come into play. But I'm saved by grace through faith when I place my faith in him. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to, over the next seven days, until we meet again next Sunday, um, read Ephesians 1. I know you're probably doing some other stuff and some other reading, but it won't take long. Read Ephesians 1 for the next seven days, maybe every day. Read it in different translations. You know, go on U version on your phone or something. You can pick a different translation each day and read it. Read it in a paraphrase. But I want you to read it when you get to something that just blows you away. Stop and say, whoa, that's true about me, even though I don't feel it. Because all of those things are true. This is life-changing. This is a revolutionary passage that will help you come together and know who you really are. Because life is too short for us not to know who we are. And we've seen it today. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one, one in three, the sovereignty of God, the responsibility of man. Here's what I can take from all of that. I matter to God. And you matter to God. And if you choose You will be chosen, accepted, redeemed, I'll take that later, forgiven, enlightened, (laughs) and heir, included, and sealed. And that's true of everyone who is a follower of Jesus. I'd like you to bow your heads as we close in prayer. Father, this is one of those passages that we could spend, (laughs) 
I think, in eternity and never plumb the depths of it. But as we've flown over it today and seen, as followers of Jesus, for those listening to this who have claimed Jesus as Lord and Savior, that there are some blessings that are just mind-blowing. And we thank you for that. And I pray that everybody here who has already stepped across that line from unbelief to belief and claimed Jesus as Lord and Savior would anew today and this week recognize their identity in him and realize who we are at the most fundamental and foundational level, what our identity really is. And Father, anybody who's listening to this, they've never accepted the claims of Jesus. They're still investigating that. They just, they, they, they've heard about church and religion and all that, but not about the relationship with, with a Savior who would provide all of these things. That today in simple faith, they would say, I don't understand all of this, but I want in on that. I believe that my sins separated me from God, that uh, there was a debt owed. And the wages of sin is death, and Jesus took care of that on the cross. And by believing that and receiving him as my Savior, I can have these same things true about me. I can be a saint, and I can receive these same blessings. And that in simple faith, they would turn to Jesus and, and realize that it's not only going to change um, their eternity, it's going to change their life and give them that abundant life of meaning and purpose that they're looking for. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the closing song. Life is short. I want to live it well. I want you to live it well, too. And you will, you will have that revolution you're looking for when you understand your identity in Christ. And your identity is found in the Trinity. And if you've never claimed Jesus as Savior, don't leave without doing that. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, I don't understand it all, but I believe that what you did on the cross was for me. That was my penalty, and you paid it. And I receive you as my Savior. I ask you to be the Lord of my life. You know, here's, here's the steering wheel of my life, Jesus. And you get all of those blessings at that instant. That's a deal you can't pass up. Chosen, adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven, enlightened. You're an heir, you're included, and you're sealed. How good is that? One thing before we leave. If I know that it's warm outside. Comparatively. It's like 50 degrees warmer than last week. But it's Minnesota, and it's January. And so if you or someone you know is in need of a coat or boots... Down that hall, second door on the right, we have a person who has very generously donated a whole bunch of really nice stuff. So if you or someone you know, we have men's coats, women's coats, kids' coats, we have some boots. Um, if you or someone you know needs something like, this is not to stock up for your garage sale, okay? If you or someone you know needs that, please stop in and grab it. Just take one and, and or whatever you need. Take one and, and they're... they're available and free. So thank you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us that we have seen uh, today how, how wide and how deep that love is and what you have blessed us with. And I pray, Father, that everyone here who is a follower of you would be re-energized knowing what their true identity really is. And anyone here who has never accepted you 
would realize what's waiting on the other side for them. We thank you, Father, for all you're doing for us and what you're going to do in this new year. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.